We're not going to sit by as governors try to block and intimidate educators protecting our children. This administration is always going to take the side of our children. Oh, thank you. There's an idea, Mr. President. Greatly appreciate it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. I am... From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Santa Barbara on 98.7, San Diego's 93.7, and Ridgecrest in China Lakes 99.5 FM. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950. KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. So this happened at Tuesday night's debate among uh, a few of the Republican contenders to become the California governor if its current Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom, is recalled during the now underway GOP-initiated recall election. Listen closely. Thank you. Mr. Cox, your time starts now. I want to give a shout-out first to my fellow businessman. San Diego Superior Court, ordered by the judge. I want to give a shout out to my friend uh, and fellow businessman. uh. (laughs) And he just ignored it and continued. (laughs) Uh, Now, that was hard to hear, but that was a service processor serving California Republican multimillionaire businessman John Cox with legal papers as he began to speak at the debate on Tuesday night, telling him that he uh, has now been officially served under the auspices of San Diego Superior Court as ordered by the judge. California residents would uh, recognize Cox. He's the candidate who uh, Newsom trounced in uh, in the 2018 gubernatorial election and who has spent millions on a series of ads on television for the California recall in which he appears with an actual grizzly bear. I think that's a grizzly bear, isn't it, Desi Doyen? Oh, yeah, it's a grizzly bear because that is the state uh, symbol of right. California, even though it's extinct in California. Yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I guess it's to demonstrate how uh, that he's very, very tough or something, unlike mm, Newsom. Hard un- to say. Unclear. But hey, look, it's a bear with the candidate. 
Well, as the uh, Daily Beast characterized what happened on Tuesday night at that debate, bear-bothering California Republican John Cox arrived at a debate on Tuesday night hoping to shore up his place as one of the top GOP contenders, fighting it out for the chance to unseat Gavin Newsom. Instead, he left with a court order demanding the settlement of an unpaid bill for about $100,000. Video of the incident shows the private investigator shouting over the Republican while he was introducing himself, saying, John Cox, you've been served. The Sacramento Bee reports that Cox owes this uh, hefty bill to a Virginia-based consulting firm that worked on his failed 28 campaign against Newsom for California governor. The agent who served Cox during the debate told the paper that Cox had been, quote, ducking and dodging courts. So he decided to show up at the debate. Well, he knew where he would be. The L.A. Times notes that in February, San Diego Superior Court Judge Daniel Link ruled that Cox's campaign failed to pay Virginia-based GOP firm uh, nearly $55,000 for political ads, about $43,000 in attorney's costs and interests and other fees from the unsuccessful 2018 run. The founding partner of the firm told The Times back in May that he paid the California-based cast and crew for the Cox campaign out of his own pocket and was never reimbursed, even though Cox, who is a multimillionaire, refunded himself more than $66,000 from his campaign. Well, it sounds very Trumpy to not Very, very Trumpy, doesn't it? Of course, that might help him in this uh, California <laughs> recall. I'm not sure. He uh, Cox dismissed it as one creditor who didn't get paid for the 2018 campaign because he didn't deserve to be. Uh, apparently, a San Diego Superior Court judge disagrees, but yeah, he does have a grizzly bear to uphold his uh, uh, ruling or something. No, maybe only Cox has the bear. So, yeah, we don't have much of a circus going on here in California in this recall election at all. But it does have an actual bear and a candidate served with a court order in the middle of a debate for pal- failing to uh, pay his own firm from his last failed run for governor in the state. Well, uh, lots of fun. Anyway, if you consider the idea that a sitting governor under California law could be removed from office by 50% plus one of whoever decides to vote in this recall, only to be replaced by a candidate who might be lucky to receive about 20% of the vote total with some 46 candidates on the ballot's second question. That second question only matters if uh, if Newsom is removed under the first question in the first place. That would result, as I say, in someone with 20 percent or less of the vote running the most populous state in the union with an economy larger than if, if California was its own country, we would be the world's fifth largest economy. All of this in the middle of a raging pandemic and climate change fueled fires and droughts ravaging the state. Sure, why not replace the governor, uh, you know, with one of 20 or so climate change denying Republicans who are on the ballot? Why not? With the minority of the vote. Some of the other highlights from Tuesday's debate, uh, according to the L.A. Times, just three of the 46 candidates running to replace Newsom in the September 14 election participated in the debate, though seven were invited. 
The participants who did show up were former San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner, businessman John Cox, didn't bring the bear, and State Assembly uh, Assemblyman Kevin Kiley, all Republicans, Larry Elder, the right-wing Trump-loving radio talk show host who has topped recent polling, he did not attend, nor did the uh, former Olympian and reality TV star Caitlyn Jenner. Governor Newsom declined to participate in the debate as well. So did former GOP U.S. Rep. Doug Ose, who is on the ballot and was slated to attend. But on Tuesday, apparently, he announced he was dropping out after suffering a heart attack. Hmm. He says he'll make a full recovery. We hope he does. The candidates use the platform to rail against Newsom and the Democratic policies that they say hurt Californians. But the event also marked the first time that frontrunner Elder was attacked uh, from the stage. He was targeted by the candidates from the debate stage. As I said, he's the front runner among Republicans on the second part of the recall ballot. Falconer blasted Elder for his derogatory remarks on women, including those in a 2000 column in which Elder said the Democrats had an advantage over Republicans because they were supported by women and, quote, women know less than men about political issues, economics, and current events. That's Larry Elder. Did he just win your vote? Does he do it? <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's the uh, that's the current front runner to replace Newsom if the governor loses on question one. He also, by the way, Elder yep. also said that he does not believe in any kind of minimum wage Correct. threshold at all. Correct. He says the ideal minimum wage is zero dollars. In a very helpful article today on One Progressive's Guide to the California Recall, published at bradblog.com today, Ernie Canning quipped, zero dollars. Does he mean slavery? Hmm. Anyway, Cox, the millionaire bear guy who got served, said he believes there should be a federal minimum wage, just not a state minimum. For the record, the federal minimum wage, I think, is currently $7.25 an hour. Anyone living in California knows that would amount to well below poverty wages here in this state in any event. The debate comes just as the first ballots are arriving in voters' mailboxes across California. A recent poll with by the Berkeley Institute of Governmental Studies shows that the race right now is very tight among likely voters. 47% support recalling the governor. 50% are opposed. That's essentially a dead heat. The result will ultimately come down to turnout and whether right-wing candidates can excite their base enough to remove the governor in a state where Democrats far outnumber Republicans, at least in voter registration. But as noted, among those currently considered likely voters... Even though all registered voters in the state will receive a vote-by-mail ballot, it's pretty much a dead heat. So uh, this election matters, and voting matters. So do voting systems that are used in this state. We're going to talk about that big time in a moment. But only recently did uh, Newsom even start jabbing back at Elder for his support of Donald Trump, his positions denying climate change, opposing abortion rights, and minimum wage, also opposing masking and vaccine mandates in response to COVID-19. Both the Republican and Democratic leading candidates on question two of the ballot oppose mask mandates for schools or anyone else. 
Ernie Canning reports in his Progressive Voters Guide for the recall at Brad Blog today, Democrat Kevin Paffrath and Republican Larry Elder both represent a clear and present danger if Newsom is recalled on question one. Canning notes that both Elder and Paffrath are prepared to defy the science of epidemiology. Elder vowed to repeal all COVID mask and vaccine mandates. Paffrath intends to make all COVID safety measures, quote, optional. Now, uh, for the record, uh, while Canning's guide for uh, progressives explains why he believes that California voters should vote no or even hell no on the first question on the ballot uh, as to whether uh, Newsom should be removed from office, uh, he goes through all of the non-Republican and non-Libertarian candidates on the ballot, more than 20 of them, to find who he believes as a progressive Democrat should, uh, should that, that voters should vote for on the second question. To avoid a worst case scenario if, in fact, Newsom loses on question one. And Ernie's recommendation is actually not a Democrat. I'll just point you to Bradblog.com for now so you can uh, see who he recommends. And maybe he'll join us on the show in the days ahead to discuss why. Meanwhile, as the L.A. Times reports at the Tuesday debate, former San Diego Governor Kevin Faulkner said about whether students and teachers should be required to wear masks, quote, I believe that's a decision that should be made at the local level. Now that, at least, while potentially a deadly position, at least it's a defensible one if you're a so-called conservative. Let the local jurisdictions decide for themselves. But uh, governors in both Florida and Texas are Republican governors are not doing that. They are banning small local governments from making that decision in both Florida and Texas, however, where, as we reported yesterday, Governor Greg Abbott has now tested positive himself for covid, even though he's lucky enough to get vaccinated. Unlike school children under the age of 12 who are not, several school districts in both states are defying both of the governors. Now, at least one school district in Texas has found what they think will be a way around the deadly dictates from the Lone Star State's authoritarian governor. According to NBC, the Paris, Texas Independent School District has managed to swerve around Abbott's order by simply adding masks to its dress code. Pretty clever. They said in a statement, the board believes the dress code can be used to mitigate communicable health issues and therefore has amended the uh, district's dress code to protect our students and employees. Nothing in the governor's executive order states that he has suspended Chapter 11 of the Texas Code and therefore the board has elected to amend its dress code consistent with statutory authority. Well done, Paris. I hope it holds up against the all-Republican state Supreme Court there. And today, school districts in both Florida and Texas got a bit of help from the federal government as President Biden announced at the White House today. Unfortunately, as we've seen throughout this pandemic, some politicians are trying to turn public safety measures, that is, children wearing masks in school, into political disputes for their own political gain. Some are even trying to take power away from local educators by banning masks in school. Now, I've said before, this isn't about politics. It's about keeping our children safe. I've made it clear that I'll stand with those 
who are trying to do the right thing. We're not going to sit by as governors try to block and intimidate educators protecting our children. For example, if a governor wants to cut the pay of a hardworking education leader who requires masks in a classroom, the money from the American Rescue Plan can be used to pay that person's salary. Nice. 100%. Nice. Very nice. So those uh, educators in Texas and Florida who said, you know what, we don't care about our salaries as much as we do protecting children. Well, now they may get their salaries as well, thanks to the federal government and the American Rescue Plan. But Good. again, as, as Texas and Florida infection rates are just skyrocketing right now, California's are dropping thanks to our mask and vaccination mandates by the governor. And with hospitals at or exceeding capacity under both of the governors uh, in Texas and Florida, where they're breaking all-time pandemic records and accounting for a huge chunk of the national infection, hospitalization, and death rates, I'm hoping that this serves as a reminder to Californians how important elections and, yes, governors are. Even as our recall election is right now underway and as we have been reporting virtually exclusively here uh, on the broadcast, uh, but here in the state and frankly nationally, the computer voting and tabulation systems used in much of the state have suddenly become much, much more vulnerable to manipulation than they were just over one week ago. That is thanks to a right wing election clerk from Colorado who allegedly stole and then at my pillow guy Mike Lindell's wingnut cyber symposium to stop the steal of the 2020 election last week in South Dakota, released into the wild the software that is used to tabulate the votes in about 60 percent of the state of California. I will explain this full story because it is not being covered nationally and we'll get an actual expert's take on all of this on whether I'm overly concerned about it all. And if I'm not, what can California, what can or should California do about it as both California and the national media and election officials now seem to be out to lunch on this one as far as I can tell? as the state's gubernatorial recall is underway on these very systems right now. <laughs> Man, that's straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. To the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. As regular listeners to the Bradcast may know by now, we have been reporting on an issue that has still, by and large, failed to show up on the national media radar. Though, as we noted on our previous Bradcast, it has finally showed up at least a bit on the radar of media in Colorado, even though the matter has a national import and particular immediate import here in California, where there is an ongoing statewide Republican-sponsored gubernatorial recall election attempting to unseat the state's first-term Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom. Last week, at MyPillow CEO and Stop the Steal Trump loon Mike Lindell's so-called cyber symposium in South Dakota, he was supposed to have fulfilled his promise to reveal the, quote, absolute proof that China stole the 2020 election from Donald Trump. The proof, 
He had explained in advance uh, through some three different weird documentary videos would be revealed in so-called Internet packet transfers that were captured somehow by hackers months after the election. Those uh, captured packets were said to provide such absolute undeniable proof that the election was rigged that the U.S. Supreme Court would immediately have no choice but to issue a 9-0 decree that Donald Trump was the rightful president and must be reinstated to the White House before the end of the week. You'll be shocked to learn that Lindell never revealed his absolute proof. And if you haven't heard, Joe Biden remains the president of the United States. That said, during the conference, one of the far right MAGA mobsters who joined Lindell on stage a number of times in Sioux Falls was the elected county clerk of Mesa County, Colorado, a woman by the name of Tina Peters. As she appeared on stage, the Colorado Secretary of State's office, along with law enforcement, had already shut down the Mesa County Elections Division office to take control of the voting and tabulation systems there. After a leak of a graphic and a video clip on the Internet revealed that someone had illicitly taken photos of passwords for the county's voting systems. The passwords themselves revealed that they came from Peter's office and that while she was claiming there was fraud in the 2020 election, the only fraud so far in her Mesa County office appears to have come from her or at least someone in her office. While that news was reported by some in the national media, the much bigger story, at least according to the voting system and cybersecurity experts that I have been speaking with over the past week, is that during the conference, a number of actual hard drives from the Mesa County Election Management System, or EMS computers, were copied in full and released onto the Internet for download by anyone as Tina Peters herself was on the stage at the Pillow Guys Forum. Legendary Finnish cybersecurity and voting system expert Harry Hursty, who was at the South Dakota Forum covering it for a media outlet as an analyst, confirmed the release of the Domin uh, Dominion voting system EMS software. That it was released to the wild, he confirmed it to us on the day that it happened. The seemingly massive security breach comes at a time that California is in the middle of its ongoing gubernatorial recall elections in a state here where that very same software that was released into the wild is used by nearly 60 percent of the voting jurisdictions across this state, putting the results of our recall seemingly in potential jeopardy. On Monday night, Colorado's Democratic Secretary of State Jenna Griswold's office finally issued a news release detailing that investigators had discovered Mesa, Mesa's county clerk, Tita, Tina Peters, and two others actually entered the elections division office near midnight on May 23, turned off the video surveillance cameras that are supposed to always be on whenever anyone is in that room where the election voting and tabulation computers are stored, and copied the hard drives of two systems there. It was those two hard drives that were imaged in full, copied in full and released into the wild last week containing the Dominion software. Now, as I've noted for the past week, this seems like a very big deal, at least to me, that has not been picked up by the national media at all. 
It not only comes at a time when millions of voters in the state of California are casting votes that will be tabulated via the Dominion Election Management System software, but just days after new revelations in a long-running federal lawsuit in Georgia where the Coalition for Good Governance has been seeking to ban Dominion touchscreen voting systems because of new, uh, serious new vulnerabilities that have been discovered by the University of Michigan's longtime voting and cybersecurity expert, Alex Halderman. Halderman was hired as an expert witness for the plaintiffs in that case, seeking to ban the Dominion touchscreens, and he was allowed to examine them. Uh, the same systems that are used in the polling places across the entire state of Georgia and, yes, in several jurisdictions here in California. Halderman's findings, apparently, were so alarming that the judge in the case sealed his report to all but the attorneys in the case, disallowing even the plaintiffs themselves from reviewing Halderman's report. Now, those highly vulnerable systems, as Halderman describes them, with security issues that allow votes to be changed in a way that state officials in Georgia, in any event, would not be able to prevent, are now being used in several major jurisdictions here in California's recall, including San Diego County, San Francisco, Riverside County, that while the Dominion election management system software is used in those jurisdictions as well as many others in the state to tabulate the hand-marked paper ballots cast in those counties. So again, this all seems like a very big deal, at least to those of us who have been studying, covering, and researching computer election system vulnerabilities going on two decades now. And yet, the national media has not yet seemed to notice pretty much any of this. Moreover, on Monday, when the Colorado Secretary of State's office announced that the Mesa County clerk was behind the security breach of the stolen software and is subsequently facing a criminal investigation and will now be replaced in her role as county clerk by legal fiat of the Secretary of State and that all of Mesa County, Colorado's voting hardware and software is now decertified, decertified and must be replaced at taxpayer expense before the next election there. The Secretary of State in Colorado also included what is said to have been an assessment of this security breach, an assessment by the U.S. Homeland Security Department's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, with CISA declaring that there is nothing to worry about here at all. Really? The title for the news release from Secretary Griswold's office includes this phrase, quote, DHS confirms posting of these hard drive images does not heighten risk to state or nation's elections. And in the body of the release, it claims that, quote, CISA has confirmed that it does not view this breach as a significant heightening of the election risk landscape at this point. As I noted on yesterday's broadcast, a Colorado election official who asked not to be named tells me that the key point of that phrase may be, may be uh, the words, quote, at this point. But a group of the nation's top voting system and cybersecurity experts that I checked with, including the legendary Harry Hursty, who you may know from HBO's Emmy-nominated documentary Hacking Democracy or its Emmy-nominated 2020 follow-up Kill Chain, the cyber war 
on America's elections or from the Hackers Voting Village that he now runs every year at the DEFCON Hackers Convention in Las Vegas. Well, that group, including Hari, were, to say the least, dubious about the Colorado Secretary of State's claims coming from CISA. Hari told me directly, for example, that in addition to nobody at CISA actually being named in the secretary's uh, news release, which was a red flag for him, there was no direct quotes from anybody at CISA regarding the sort of everything is fine, nothing to worry about here claim, and and that there was no accompanying uh, announcement directly from CISA itself as he suggested would normally be the case. He also told me that, indeed, uh, quote, increased knowledge of the system lowers the barrier for attack planning and therefore increases the likelihood of future attacks on these systems. I've since reached out to the uh, to uh, Secretary Griswold's office, but the Colorado Secretary of State nor its representatives have yet to respond to my query, hoping to find out who they spoke to at CISA and what exactly that person said or even how he or she came to their assessment that there's nothing to worry about here. Another one of the voting system experts that I asked about this is University of California, Berkeley's Professor Philip Stark, also an expert witness in the federal lawsuit in Georgia seeking to ban the use of Dominion touchscreens and the inventor of the post-election audit protocol known as risk-limiting audits. He currently serves on the Board of Advisors of the U.S. Election Assistance Commission. He previously served on California Secretary of State Deborah Bowen's post-election audit standards working group. And he joins us again today on the broadcast to try and help us make sense of all of this. Professor Philip Stark, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you so much, Brad. Good to hear your voice. Uh, uh, you know, apologies for the long introduction, but I, I wanted to sort of set the scene for what I see as potentially a very troubling situation with the release of this uh, Dominion software, which essentially controls entire elections from the creation of the ballots to the counting of them, the release into the wild. And at the same time, these new vulnerabilities have been found in the Dominion touchscreens, all of it while it's being used across some 60 percent of the state of California in this critical recall election, which is said to be a dead heat right now, Philip. Yet it's not been covered by the national media or even California media. Uh, to my knowledge, the California Secretary of State, uh, Dr. Shirley Weber, has not said anything about any of this, despite the ongoing election on this very election system. Am I overly concerned? Am I off base? Help me out here, Professor Stark. Well, I think it is a serious uh, risk. I mean, it, the, the best metaphor I've been able to come up with is if I were trying to break into a bank, Mm-hmm. Uh, how helpful would it be to have blueprints of the bank and the bank vault? Um, well, how helpful would it be for me to have an actual exact copy of the bank completely at my disposal for me to try different ways of breaking in and so forth and so on? Not even a scale model, but literally the exact same thing, just in a different place. Mm -hmm. That's what having a copy of these disks amounts to. Um, the, the voting system is there. Uh, someone can... Uh, install it in either a virtual machine or exactly the same kind of uh, desktop computer that it was supposed to be running in, mm -hmm. and try different kinds of attacks, explore the, the vulnerabilities. Just it's, it's all laid out. Now, 
to the extent that these systems are not secure in the first place, this doesn't make the systems more vulnerable, but it gives a would-be evildoer mm-hmm. uh, lots of help and information to plan an attack, um, figure out what's going to work, um, which can then be um, conducted later by someone with less technical skill. Um and, and, and you, you know, like Harry Hursty, uh, seem to believe that that statement from CISA, uh, as characterized, not directly quoted, but characterized by the Colorado Secretary of State in, in her press release that, uh, quote, CISA has confirmed that it does not view this breach as a significant heightening of the election risk landscape at this point. Your reaction, like Hari's, was uh, pretty much uh, BS. Well, uh, why do you feel well, that, that that was BS? Well, I, I, if I want to be as charitable as possible, <laughs> here's things that I could say about the systems that might make that statement true. Um, if you assume that the systems have been compromised already because they are so poorly defended, um, they you know lack basic cybersecurity, uh, they're being, generally being run by offices that have little, if any, cybersecurity training. If you basically said these things are, are Swiss cheese already, then, yeah, this isn't worse. Um, or <laughs> so saying, so well, it, does, it doesn't it, significantly it, heighten the risk because the risk is already significantly risk high. Already, exactly, <laughs> okay. as big as it could be. Okay. Uh, conversely, if you want to say, well, advanced persistent threats, nation states like you know Russia, China, Iran, North Korea... Uh, probably already have copies of these systems in-house that they are using to plan attacks, then these getting released to the general public doesn't increase the risk from those advanced persistent threats. Mm -hmm. They probably already have this information. Mm -hmm. Um, So in that sense, it could be a sensible statement. But what this really does is, in some sense, democratize the ability of hackers to try to break into these systems. Uh Uh, It really lowers the barrier to entry. You don't need to uh, acquire a system on your own. Uh, You don't need to bribe somebody in a position of power. There are lots of things that you don't need to do because uh, the blueprints and indeed the actual code are there for you to to plan your attack to figure out what's going to work. So even before the release of this software, there was concerns about it. But, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how you can't say, uh, you, you, one could say it does not significantly heighten the risk, given that, uh, as uh, Hari told me, this has now been downloaded thousands of times, which means thousands of people, not only across the, uh, <clears throat> across the country, but across the world, now have this software. You know, we we hear many times that these voting systems, uh, Philip Stark, are not connected to the Internet. So, you know, no big deal as long as uh, even if people do have copies of the software and they can figure out how it works, there's no way they can actually access these systems to do anything with it. Uh, Your response to to that claim? Uh, Well, it isn't. First of all, it isn't true that they're never connected to the Internet. Um, There's a lot of examples of that. there, there was uh, work released what's now more than a year ago, I think, by Kevin Scoggin and others, showing mm-hmm. that many of these systems are con- connected to the Internet for extended periods of time. Uh, the fact that many of the systems have the ability to connect to the Internet or have uh, remote access uh, software installed on them uh, was revealed, revealed by the vendors after substantial pressure from Ron Wyden and others. Uh, Kim Zetter reported on that extensively. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we had hacking before we had the Internet. Uh, the Internet is not the only way to hack things. 
Mm-hmm. Um, many ways do require some physical access, but they don't necessarily require more physical access than a voter might get. Um, and Alex Alderman's uh, recent declarations in the case in Georgia have, uh, have attested to that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think, you know, the answer is no, 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 um, <laughs> for lots of reasons. And uh, those touchscreen systems, even though we are uh, the the secretary of state of California is sending out uh, vote by mail, hand marked paper ballots to all uh, registered voters in the state, many voters still, for what for various reasons, choose to vote at the polling place. And as I mentioned, uh, the counties, big counties like San Diego, uh, Riverside County, California, San Francisco, up near you use these touchscreen systems that Alex Halderman has found to be so vulnerable. They are the exact same ones that are at the center of this case in Georgia. The exact same ones are used here in in uh, in California in uh, those uh, jurisdictions I, I mentioned. Does this release of this software last week increase that uh, uh, threat environment for those touchscreen voting systems that are going to be used made by Dominion? Uh, yes, I would expect it would. I I know that there are minor version differences between what Colorado runs, what California runs, what Georgia runs. I don't actually know in detail what those differences are. They they might be the same, but they they might be slightly different. But as you said, the EMSs, these election management systems, are used among other things to configure the ballot marking devices. The results from from the the precinct based scanners, mm-hmm. you know, which are reading these printouts from the ballot marking devices uh, are then, you know, uploaded to the EMS for aggregation and, you know, finishing the tabulation. And all of these steps, all these links provide a way for either faulty data and or malware to come back uh, home. And the release of the EMS code uh, gives someone a, a blueprint for how to write malware to infect the ballot marking devices, et cetera. When they're used, when they're when they're configured um, using these systems, and and just so I'm clear, it's not only the we mentioned the touchscreens because those are uh, at the center of that federal lawsuit in Georgia and the recently discovered new vulnerabilities in those systems uh, that would allow, I guess, a voter to actually change votes on those systems. But when we're talking about the EMS, the election management software, that affects not just the touchscreen systems, but in fact, the hand-marked paper ballot systems. And, and the counting of those ballots as they are being sent out all over the state. That's, that's right. So to the, to the extent that uh, a jurisdiction uses Dominion or any other vendor's system to do its tabulation, it's tabulating not only ballot marking device printout, but also hand-marked paper ballots using that, and the absentee ballots in particular. So the risk to all of those systems is higher, as mm-hmm. I think, as a result of the release. If California were routinely conducting risk-limiting audits Mm -hmm. of every contest, or in particular of this recall election, that could mitigate the risk of malware at the tabulation and altering results. Um, There would be a way to to, make an end run around it and check. But the routine 1% manual tally that is required under California law would not typically detect problems for a variety of reasons. Um, one has to do with the way that the sample is drawn and what jurisdictions are required to do with the sample. But the other is that a weakening of that 1% law that goes back now about three years, if I mm-hmm. recall correctly, says that any ballots that have not been tabulated as of election night don't need to be included in the sample. 
Um, and and, let, and me, let me let me just underscore what you're saying here, uh, Philip, because the the law as it stands currently in California, and this is essentially the only way, if I'm understanding what you're saying, the only way around any concerns uh, that people might have about the uh, election management system and the and the way the ballots are counted. If you don't know. Uh, you know, even if they're not hacked, even if they're not manipulated in any way, even if they are not in error in some way, uh, we can't know that unless we actually tabulate at least some of the ballots uh, by hand after the election. California law right now requires a 1% random audit uh, or, a, you know, 1% a, a, a random audit of 1% of the precincts to make sure that the machines are tabulating the paper ballots accurately and what you're saying is that one percent essentially is not enough to know for sure that the results were were tabulated accurately by the computers so it's actually worse than that the one percent is only drawn from ballots that were tabulated as of election night and so in particular many cases it takes some days to process absentee ballots Mm -hmm. after election night they are typically even processed on different equipment than the equipment that's used for processing election day and, and early voting. Early voting and election day stuff might, this is a, a hypothetical. So yeah. many jurisdictions use precinct count optical scan systems for election day and early voting, mm-hmm. but central count optical scan systems for absentee ballots, to mm-hmm. process absentee ballots. Right. So to the extent that the sample of ballots that they're retabulating are ballots that were tabulated on precinct count optical scan systems, Uh none of the absentee ballots has been tabulated by hand and checked against the way the computer tabulated. So you don't need to mess Uh, with the machines that uh, tabulate at the precincts. You can just mess with the machines that tabulate the the high-speed scanners that are used at the central headquarters that uh, scan the the absentee, uh, the vote-by-mail ballots as they come in later. And those ballots will never make their way into California's current post-election uh, audit uh, protocol to find out if, in fact, the central tabulators are working accurately. Right. So uh. some jurisdictions are better. Some, some uh-huh. California jurisdictions do more than the minimum required. Yeah. But the minimum required doesn't include draw, including in your sample any ballots that were tabulated after you know after election night. And so if somebody wanted to get away with something, they you know if, if someone wants to do the minimum amount of work. Yeah. Uh, the absentee ballots could be essentially unsampled, unchecked, and the and, and the software and equipment that was used to tabulate them yep. could be basically un, unchecked. It seems now, like some jurisdictions. Go ahead. Sorry, well, uh, I mean, we, there is this pilot risk limiting audit program going on in California, and a jurisdiction might uh, voluntarily decide to participate in that. In which case, they would be drawing a, a sample in a more meaningful way, with the possibility of. Uh, expanding the sample potentially to a full hand count if the full hand count would show that somebody else won. Given the Um, threat atmosphere uh, that I think has been significantly heightened, uh, despite what CISA says, uh, at least according to the experts I've spoken to, given all of that, the release of this software into the wild, the new findings in, uh, in Georgia, 
would the uh, Cal- uh, California Secretary of State at this point uh, be within her rights or, or acting appropriately as you see it to say, you know what, we got to do better than a 1% post-election audit after this recall. We need to uh, up the game. We need to do something more like a uh, risk-limiting audit uh, of the type that, uh, well, Professor Philip B. Stark of UC Berkeley has recommended. So there's precedent for that. Then Secretary of State Deborah Bowen issued emergency regulations for a post-election mm-hmm. manual tally mm-hmm. uh, back in, was it about 2008, Something I think? Something like that, yeah. If correctly. Yeah. Uh, so you, using emergency authorization to say there needs to be a higher level of scrutiny for the following reasons. And uh, I'm not an attorney, but I would assume that Secretary Weber has the same the same option. Given that What's going on right now in California is basically a two-item election, mm-hmm. uh, the recall, and then if the recall passes, uh, who is to replace uh, the governor? Mm-hmm. Every ballot in the state has the same two contests on it. Right. That makes it very simple to audit, and the sample size that would be required would be very small uh, at the level of individual counties because the, the sample has gone from the state as a whole. Uh, this is different from auditing some local contests, some mayoral contests, or this or that, mm-hmm. because the the, uh, the pool is every ballot cast in the state. Now, some of them are inherently unverifiable if they were produced by a ballot marking device, as as you know you, you know better than I. Um, but uh, at least for the handmarked paper ballots, uh, there's a way to check um, whether right. some failure in process, some failure in software, malware hacking, misconfiguration, anything like that caused the wrong. Uh, position to appear to win, right, or cause the recall to appear to pass when it shouldn't, or vice versa, or cause the wrong candidate to appear to win the recall election on the assumption that the recall passes. Right. We can never know uh, when it comes to a computer-marked and or barcoded ballot whether that ballot actually reflects the intent of the voter. We can know that with hand-marked paper ballots, which is why we uh, recommend everyone use only a hand-marked paper ballot. If you received a vote-by-mail ballot, uh, fill it out by hand. If possible, drop it off at uh, one of the drop-off boxes or at your uh, election headquarters uh, in your county as the uh, most reliable way to uh, increase the odds of your vote getting uh, counted as cast. Uh, but, Philip Stark, y- you mentioned when we had talked a few days ago off air how this entire, this leaking of this software by Mesa County, allegedly by Mesa County, Colorado County Clerk Tina Peters, underscores something that, uh, well, that I've talked about for years. I know uh, voting system experts have talked about for years. The idea that the greatest threat to elections does not come necessarily from hackers, whether they're in the United States, whether they're in Russia, Iran, China, around the world, but actually from election insiders. And here we have the, the Mesa County, Colorado County clerk herself, the far right uh, county clerk who allegedly was behind the theft and release of this Dominion EMS software. She copied it herself, turned off the cameras, according to the secretary of state. What should we learn from that? And how is it possible to ever stop insider manipulation of elections by determined insiders like, you know, county clerks who oversee the election systems themselves? 
So if the allegations are right, so first of all, I mean, this is a very clear reminder that insider threats are real. Mm -hmm. Um, And we do tend to downplay insider threats in general, Mm -hmm. Um, although, you know, a lot of the narrative around stop the steal seems to imply that that at least some big chunk of our electorate believes that they're insider threats. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is a a wake-up call for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to mitigate insider threats. Certainly, insider threats to the functioning of electronic systems, computer systems, are pretty much impossible to mitigate. If somebody has physical access to a computer, you consider that computer hacked. So that really means that we need other forms of evidence to demonstrate that election results are correct. Mm -hmm. That's what this notion of evidence-based elections that I've been pushing since about 2012 Mm -hmm. is really all about. How can we conduct elections in such a way that the election official can produce convincing evidence, convince a reasonable person that the reported winners really won? Now, even a a single insider, even the clerk, uh, is unlikely to be able to mount a wholesale attack on the paper without leaving some kind of trace or having some accomplices or other things that are you know, likely to make it at least more likely that someone's uh, meddling will be discovered. So being able to document that chain of custody wasn't broken, having appropriate protocols for seals, um, photographing seals when they're put on, logging the numbers, checking uh, the seals and uh, how they're affixed and the number on the seal when you open them, making sure that ballots, voted ballots, are under 24-7 video surveillance, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, have the two-person chain of custody, all of these things can contribute evidence that the paper trail really is a trustworthy record of the vote. Good ballot accounting procedures, which, you know, Californias are are, are pretty good compared to to many states, but to just ensure that all the paper is really accounted for, how many ballots went to the polling place, how many came back voted, spoiled, or blank, all of those things can contribute to evidence that the paper trail was a trustworthy record of the vote. Mm-hmm. And once you have that, then you have the opportunity of doing anything from a risk-limiting audit to a full-hand count, either of which needs to be done with enough transparency, public participation, public visibility for people to determine whether they were done correctly. And, a, um, and of course, in the case of a risk-limiting... Uh, sorry. No, no, please finish your thought. Uh, so in the case of a risk-limiting audit, uh, doing it correctly essentially means having evidence that the audit didn't stop before it was supposed to, and in particular that it didn't stop without going to a full hand count if it should have gone to a full hand count. Right. Well, or, all, all uh, you know, of for, those for, th- for full hand count. There's other stuff. All, yeah. Well, all all of those uh, things that you mention uh, are only work as well as the people who oversee the elections and check them uh, and look at those things, were the seals on the voting machines broken? Uh, if they were, what do we do about that? There, you know, uh, it, it seems infrequent that we actually look at our elections to make sure that they were up to snuff. I think that the fact that the 2020 election has been looked at so closely, I actually think is a good thing. And the fact that they have come up with nothing pretty much to suggest that uh, something was out of order suggests that it most likely wasn't. But in most cases, we don't bother to look here now with all of these vulnerabilities. It sounds like, you know, handmarked paper ballots, post-election audits of some type, uh, full recounts, uh, you know, hand counts, uh, uh, preferably. 
would give us some confidence, but it is something that we do very rarely. There are no national standards. And before I let you go, uh, Philip Stark, I know that on the federal level, as as bad as the post-election audit uh, requirements are here in California, we are often cited as one of the best in the nation uh, nationally. There are no standards for uh, post-election audits at all uh, across uh, the 50 states, correct? Uh, That's correct. There are not. The U.S. Election Assistance Commission has started to publish things related to best practices around audits and recounts like guidance on chain of custody. Mm -hmm. The National Association of Secretaries of State just published uh, a very short list of principles that audits should satisfy. Um, they, don't, they don't go very far, but uh, what's there is, is not silly. Mm-hmm. I mean, backing up just slightly in the conversation, we, we should be routinely double-checking all of these issues around chain of custody, seals, etc. And that's a step that is, should be done before an audit or a recount. Um, it should be done before certification. I, I call that step a compliance audit. It's basically to double to double check those things that need to be checked to confirm that the paper trail really is a trustworthy record of the vote, and, um, and, and, and that needs to be done in a way that's public and transparent. These uh, people, because if recounting yeah. an arbitrary pile of paper doesn't necessarily show who won. I hear you, and and I'm sorry to give you the bums rush here, Philip, but I got to get out. Uh, suffice to say, those things that you're calling for are not routinely done around the country. Is that fair to say? That is fair. Philip B. Stark is a professor of statistics and the associate dean of mathematical and physical science at the University of California, Berkeley. He's also expert witness in a number of uh, voting system uh, lawsuits around the country. He's on the board of advisors of the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission. And apparently he shares my concern about the release of this Dominion election management system software into the wild in the middle of this California recall, much less all of the uh, elections coming up in November that also use the very same systems. You can find him on the Twitters at Philip B. Stark. Philip Stark, always great speaking with you, my friend. Uh, hope to do it again soon. Thanks a lot. One minor correction. I've stepped down as associate dean. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying a sabbatical instead. So, but other than that, <laughs> all systems go. Very good. Thank you, sir. Okay, quick break, and we are back uh, with our closing few minutes on the Bradcast. Yep. I'm Brad Friedman. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. My thanks again to uh, Philip Stark of UC Berkeley there. I know we ran a little late, so I'm going to have to be quick about this, Desi Doyen. Uh, but I suspect more uh, in your Green News report on uh, on all of this yes. uh, coming up probably on tomorrow's broadcast uh, in Haiti, uh, where more than 2,000 were killed by an earthquake over the weekend and nearly 10,000 more injured. Uh, it's been five days now since residents in the western part of that state have uh, many of them have been forced to sleep in the open with their houses destroyed even as Tropical Depression Grace drenched the island over the past day or two, as uh, aid is now said to be very slow in getting to those Haitians who need it on the island. That, of course, uh, as disease is setting in, disease in addition to the COVID pandemic that they were already struggling with. But 
Tropical uh, Depression Grace is not the only Atlantic storm that we are all dealing with right now. Significant downpours have soaked parts of western North Carolina. And at this hour, at least 30 people remain unaccounted for in Haywood County. Mm. Rain from Tropical Storm Fred has washed out roads, leading to severe flooding that has complicated efforts to track those who are missing. Dozens uh, of residents are sheltered at a high school and a boil water has been issued. A boil water alert has been issued. Nearby tornadoes have caused local officials to warn residents to take precautions. The North Carolina Weather Authority writes areas in parts of the foothills have seen nearly 12 inches of rain today. Major flooding is now occurring and river flooding will continue they add thoughts and prayers to the people of Western North Carolina. Uh, with everything else that is going on, uh, that story and even Haiti itself is getting very little coverage, it seems, at least commensurate with what is deserved in these stories. It's but everything all at once. Everything all at once. And, you know, as as California is actually considering electing a climate change denier for its governor. It's just unbelievable right now what's going on. We're trying to keep up with all of it as best we can and uh, focusing on what we think is important, whether the rest of the country or even the rest of the state feels the same way. I can't tell you. All right, we have to get out. Thanks again to Philip Stark of UC Berkeley, to my producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, Downloaded anytime for free at bradblog.com. Our work is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. That is it. Until we meet again tomorrow, hopefully, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.